We started our series with the aim of cultivating stronger and sweeter friendships here in Boundless. And we're doing this by studying specific one another commands. We're on this journey with two realities in mind. One, that Christ has saved us and made us one united body in the church. And because we are members of one another, we're a family. And no one has a closer relationship to us than other followers of Christ. For this reason, our lives should be marked by a devotion to fellowship. Fellowship where we share in life together and put our unity and love on display, like I was just saying. And this display brings Christ great glory and testifies of his salvific work to the world around us. As we deepen our friendships by practicing the one another's, our unity and love for one another will grow and grow, and our fellowship will be sweeter and more joy-filled, and Christ will get more and more glory. So the first week, we learned about loving one another, how to be self-forgetting, and how to grow in laying down our lives for one another. Because Christ so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And last week, Jojo brought us an outstanding message on exhorting one another. He gave us a ton of examples on how we can helpfully share the truth with one another and urge one another to obedience. And today, we have our third lesson of the series, Comfort One Another. And in the Christian life, we, need, we have a great need for comfort, don't we? If you're at Boundless this past Thursday, uh, what, what did we learn about? You can, you can tell me what we learned about this past Thursday. Trials. All right, so there's trials and suffering in the Christian life. This is something that we have to expect. Um, and Christ tells us this, and so did his apostles. And they said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We are faced with trials of all shapes and sizes, and they come to us every day. Sometimes they come suddenly when we least expect it. And other times, they go on for weeks, months, and even years. Living in a sin-cursed world isn't easy. We experience physical pain and illnesses, relational conflicts, wearying labor, and grief over tragedy. We're tempted by all kinds of sin, just to name a few things. These are hard for our hearts to endure. I want you to be thinking of those burdens which put a constant weight and pressure on your soul. Some of them hardly feel bearable to us in the moment. Thank you, David. Um, There's a sense of overwhelm or creeping anxiety where we sense that we are about to spiral in despair. The Apostle Paul describes his own struggle in this way by saying that he was afflicted at every turn. All this to say, there's an evident need for comfort in our life, isn't there? So for our lesson today, we will be answering five questions that will help us learn about God's comfort for us and how we can grow as comforters. So our first question, as you can see, is what is comfort? How does the Bible define comfort for us? As we seek our definition, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll start reading at verse 3. This passage provides us a clear teaching about the comfort that we receive from God and that becomes our basis for comforting one another. In this letter, Paul's writing once again to the Corinthian church. Previously, he rebuked them for their immature faith, rampant idolatry, and immorality. And now, Paul's received updates on how they're doing. There's some good news, like a number of unbelievers or a number of believers who have genuinely repented. But now, the church is listening to false teachers 
and they're causing the church to doubt Paul's apostleship, and they're in danger of straying from the truth. This had to be agonizing for Paul. This church that he loved so much was struggling mightily in their faith. Um, Pastor Rich uh, gave us a great truth related to this, that even this morning, uh, from the Apostle John, and he said that it was, there was no greater, greater joy for him than that he would hear that his children in the faith were walking in the truth. And so for Paul, this had to be a heavy burden as he longed to see the Corinthian church grow in Christ's likeness and be more useful vessels of Christ's glory. On top of this, he's trying to minister to other churches, all the while enduring afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger, he says. And on top of this, his sufferings were one of the main accusations the false teachers were bringing against him to deny his apostleship. So where would he look for comfort? To his faithful Lord. And Paul begins this letter of 2 Corinthians with an explosion of praise regarding God's mercy and comfort. He longs for the Corinthians to enjoy this comfort too. So look with me at verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely on God, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So there's a lot of truth to unpack from this passage, and that we can apply today. So let's look at our definition. Paul was under, or let's set our definition. Paul was under the intense weight of affliction, as we, as we said. And he was being so utterly burdened, it felt beyond his strength. And he despaired of being alive at all. It would take serious strengthening for his heart to be encouraged at this time. And he shows us that comfort was a solution to his need. Comfort's a strong word but it's lost its edge in, in our vocabulary. One commentator I've read said that comfort has gone all soft. We might typically think of momentary ease or pleasure or relaxation in the midst of life's pressures. For Paul, he needed a powerful strengthening that could lift him up from his suffering. And he shows us that true comfort, the comfort that comes from God, is able to strengthen the soul from the depths of the most terrible despair. Comfort lifts the spirits and refreshes the heart in the midst of our affliction, afflictions that press us down low. And being left to ourselves, 
our hearts wither under them. But comfort flows from God to renew our hearts. So here's our definition. Biblical comfort is the lifting up of the spirit that comes in times of distress, great or small. It's the lifting up of the spirit that comes in times of distress, great or small. Give you guys a second to write that down. So as we seek to increase our understanding of true comfort, we'll look next to the character of God. Our second question is, in what ways does God bring us comfort? We can receive comfort by looking to the Lord in any affliction. And it's the wonder and glory of who he is that lifts us from our discouraged state. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul praises God as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He had received comfort from the Lord and set his eyes on him, and he aimed to have the Corinthians do the same. So we'll look at four comforting aspects of God's character as we answer this question. First, he abounds in mercy. Our God is the Father of mercies. All that the Lord works in our lives is out of his mercy towards us. We've talked about this quite a bit as well on Thursday nights. We learned that Peter, um, from Peter, that according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. And he's given us a new hope and an inexpressible joy that he's mercifully granted us in Christ. As believers, God's mercy truly marks our new life in every way. Psalm 103, 13 through 14 says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As a perfect and loving father, God lavishes us with his mercy. Even as his children, we are weak and small, and we need much guidance, especially with the burdens and afflictions we face. But his mercies are new every morning. And as we recount these mercies, in them we can find great comfort. Next, next we have that he sees our affliction and hears our cries. Psalm 34, 15 and 17 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. The Lord sees us in every trial. He receives every one of our petitions, our cries for comfort in the midst of our anguish, our cries for encouragement as we wish to be lifted from despair. He hears the cry of faith in the new believer who's just been born again, as well as from the seasoned saint who's crying for deliverance for the 10,000th time. Paul knows that God hears and answers, and so he tells the Corinthians in in verse 11 to pray for his comfort. And deliverance. Next, we know that God, God is with us. If God is the God of all comfort, ready to strengthen our hearts in every affliction, then he has to be ever-present with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. In Isaiah 41.10, the Lord declares this promise, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Our God is steadfast in his presence with us, and he never leaves our side. He redeemed us so that we may be able to abide in him and that he will abide in us. And finally, we have that God is faithful. He's faithful to us. 
he will fulfill every promise that he has made. He will not change his mercy towards us. He faithfully loves us. If he has redeemed us, that means he has made a covenant with us, and he will surely keep it. And you can't go far in the Psalms without seeing God's faithful, steadfast love mentioned. So again, Psalm 103, verse 17, says, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. It is forever on his people. And nothing we do can get in the way of that. 1 Timothy 2.17 says, Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And this isn't denying that we are saved by grace through faith, but it's recognizing that we have moments of faithlessness, but that God remains faithful to us in them. So we see these truths about our God, how he abounds in mercy, he sees us and hears us, he's always with us, and he's faithful to us. These are true no matter the afflictions that come our way. And Paul has been powerfully powerfully steadied and refreshed by them, even when his heart felt like it should give up on life itself. So let them refresh your heart as well and see that our afflictions are used by God to drive us deeper in our relationship with him, and specifically in these areas of comfort and mercy. So while God's character certainly fueled Paul's comfort, uh, what else was motivating Paul, uh, Paul's spirit to rise from despair to praise? And this is our third question. What else fueled Paul's comfort? First off, we have that Paul was fueled by the promise of sufficient comfort. The promise of sufficient comfort. Look with me at verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For we, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. To put it simply, he's saying that the more suffering there is in our life, the more comfort we will enjoy. Some translations use the word overflow here to describe the measure implied by abounding. Our life as Christ followers will be overflowing with affliction just like the life of our Savior. But in this, God intends to work in us overflowing comfort. Another way to put it is boundless. The comfort we can experience in Christ has no boundaries or limitations. He desires for us to be filled up full with comfort every day and in every affliction that comes our way. Next, we see that Paul was comforted also by promises of deliverance. Our God is a mighty deliverer. We have Christ as our Savior. Paul said he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. He was calling to mind how God delivered him from dangers, afflictions, and burdens in the past. This gave him confidence that God would do it again. It's crucial to our comfort that we call to mind God's past deliverances and mercies. We need to bring these, we need to, bring these to mind again and again, if we will be comforted. But we should also know this, that there's a time coming when these moment-by-moment, day-by-day deliverances will not go on. There will be a day of final salvation where all of God's people are rescued from the afflictions of this cursed world once and for all. This brings us to the next of Paul's motives, the promise of eternal glory. I'm taking this one out of 
taking us out of chapter 1 for this one. But it's key to Paul's thinking. He writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. This is another similarity to our message on Thursday night. We learned that our trials, our afflictions, they won't last forever. And Paul has renewed his mind to view our present life, this one full of afflictions, as one, one collective, light, momentary affliction. And it certainly requires faith and grace from the Lord to view our life this way. But it is possible. And as we walk through this light momentary affliction in our day-to-day life, the Lord is preparing us for the eternal glory that he will reveal. And so he wants us to know that today's and tomorrow's hardships are fleeting compared to eternity. They're not vain experiences. And he's using them to prepare us to dwell with him forever. Our final motivation that we'll cover today is compounding comfort. The promise of compounding comfort. I'm drawing this from chapter 1, verse 4, uh, and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. I say this because God intends for every believer to abound and overflow with his comfort, so that we comfort others also. And then what happens? Those whom we comfort are lifted up, and they see that it is God who has comforted them, and by, by means of this other brother or sister in Christ. And so then, we, so then as they are moved to comfort others out of what they have received, the cycle goes on and on. Listen to this example from uh, chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. For when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Paul was comforted by the Corinthians due to their comforting of Titus, and Titus had returned shared this comfort, his own comfort with Paul. And Paul, who was previously in anguish, is now greatly encouraged. He saw that it was comfort given to him by God. And get this, then out of that comfort, Paul penned 2 Corinthians 1 for the sake of the Corinthian church. And then God preserved this testimony for us and for the, com- for the comfort of believers for generations to come. I think that's incredible. All right, so as far, so far, we've seen that God abounds in comfort towards his children. He's the father of mercies. He's with us. And then we see that Paul's comfort is also fueled by God's character and promises. But you might be thinking, abounding in comfort, it's, isn't that so much easier said than done? How can I enjoy this today? I mean, my burdens, they feel, they feel heavy. Can I really have a heart that is refreshed like Paul's? And this brings us to our fourth question. How do I experience God's comfort? How do I experience God's comfort? The farther we get into our series, the more I'm seeing that 
Growing in these one another commands requires us to keep growing in our daily communion with Christ. You might remember a couple weeks ago, I said that we can only pour out love towards others insofar as we know Christ's love for ourselves. And in that same way, if we're going to be Christ-like comforters, then we need to know his comfort. It has to be real for us. So we'll look at a few ways that we can strengthen our comfort um, and communion with Christ in this area. The first one is to recount his mercies. Pastor Clay's covered this a couple times recently, and so I won't spend too long on it. But this is crucial. It's easy for us to lose sight of all that God has done for us. I mentioned before that Paul, in his affliction, was bringing to mind these mercies and past deliverances of God. And if you want to experience more of God's comfort, then write out these mercies, sit down, think about them, make a list, and thank God for them, just as as Pastor Clay suggested to us. And for another help, I find that the Psalms are a great place to find examples of this, as uh, David and um, God's people recount in songs of praise how all of God's many merciful acts um, of deliverance towards them. A few that came to my mind... uh, that are helpful to me were Psalm 40, if you want to write these down, Psalm 40, Psalm 69, Psalm 78, and Psalm 107. So we want to recount God's mercies if we want to know his comfort. Secondly, we need to surrender our will. Surrender our will. Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 6, your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. According to this verse, we play an active role in receiving comfort. God can't just zap us with comfort as much as we might like that. We have, in our afflictions, we have to resolve that God's ordained whatever this burden is in his wisdom and to be willing to wait on him. Patience waits on God. Paul, for example, kept preaching the gospel. He kept ministering to the churches and waited on God's deliverance. We steadfastly endure when we resolve to see God's will and not our own be done. We have to refuse to try to escape through any means of our own strength. And our hearts, under the pressures of afflictions, often want to do this. We want to flee when pressure comes. You know what I'm talking about, right? When life's weights are greatest, you'd think that's the time for strongest faith. But our heart wants to run to pleasures, comforts, and escapes other than God one of the things that we can't find true comfort in. To give an example, um, where this point has come up in my own life recently has been um, is an, the ongoing battle that we've had with car troubles. Um, praise the Lord, haven't had any catastrophic mechanical failures, but for most of the year, um, there's just been consistent issues again and again that are that add pressure to um, just daily life, what's already a busy schedule. Um, It feels like a big inconvenience, and it's kind of a a lingering weight in the back of my mind. And, you know, I would really like to have a more reliable vehicle. I'm sure many of you would as well. But the Lord hasn't provided me with the opportunity to get that yet. Um, And so this is a burden that's in his will for me this year. But I've noticed that in the midst of this, my heart can get really out of whack. Um, 
I've noticed points where I'm trying to look for a new car um, to buy, and my heart is motivated in doing this, um, thinking that this vehicle is going to be the escape from the affliction. It's going to be the thought of that is the comfort in the midst of the affliction. Um, but, but my heart remains distracted and restless um, in finding no true satisfaction or hope in those moments. But what the Lord want, has wanted me to see is that if I submit my will to him, I can enjoy his comfort right now, even if I never have another reliable car in my life. So when we don't wait for God or surrender our will to him, our unbelief will keep us from being comforted. But faith and surrendering our wills will bring us comfort. A third step we can take to know Christ's comfort is to have eyes of faith. To have eyes of faith. You can write down 2 Corinthians 5.7. Sorry for not getting uh, some of these verses up there, but just ran out of time on that. 2 Corinthians 5.7 is the famous passage that says, We walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by sight leaves us hopeless. If Paul had walked by sight, he never would have been comforted, and he never would have been able to make it underneath all of the hardships and persecutions and afflictions that he faced. Walking by faith is putting our trust in God's character and promises and letting them direct our lives. Faith sees God working out our salvation through broken down cars, sleepless nights, failed exams, unknown futures, relationship fallout, and persecution in the workplace. In afflictions great and small, eyes of faith will look to God for what he is working, and our hearts will be raised out of the muck of our affliction, and we'll find refreshment in him. One way that I've been working on having eyes of faith this week um, is by finding a passage that helps me to set my eyes on the Lord. And um, this pa- the passage was Psalm 25, verses 15 through 18. Here we see David praying to the Lord. He says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. This shows us David's condition. And just before these verses, in verse 15, he makes this statement, which really struck me. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck me out of the net. His eyes are ever toward the Lord, fixed on him. No other hope in his distress than the Lord. When the Lord wants to teach us and grow us, he often will grant us plenty of opportunities to apply his truth. So I think it was... Tuesday that I read Psalm 25 and um, been thinking about it. And that night, I'm looking forward to a strong start on sermon prep. You know, next, next Boundless Sunday School, let's get a good, good, good head start on it. I just had to upload two assignments first. And the Wi-Fi is out. Oh, okay. My heart sinks. And I find out Wi-Fi won't be back till tomorrow. Thinking, why not tomorrow or the next day, Lord? I wouldn't even be here. I'd be somewhere else. It wouldn't be a big deal. So I go to the church, uh, get a late start, and then, you know, I'm trying to trust the Lord with that. Once I'm there, just spinning my wheels. No brain power. Happens sometimes, uh, but I was super discouraged. 
I didn't get the start on this message that I hoped for. In this moment, I needed eyes of faith to see God at work. And Psalm 25 told me to keep my eyes on the Lord and know that he provides sufficient comfort for every affliction. Even in that night, I was able to uh, go home and spend time with my wife and hear about how she was encouraged by a Bible study that night. Though sermon prep had gone poorly, this was God's sweet mercy and comfort in the midst of the affliction. But my troubles didn't end there. The next day comes along, and I'm at class, and looking forward to an afternoon, maybe even an evening of more study, and I get a call from Lana, and she's been feeling bad at work, um, having dizzy spells, and we're not sure what the problem is. She has low blood sugar, and that wasn't it. And so it's like, what is this, Lord? Like, what's, what's going on here? Um, so in that moment, my wife needs comfort, and I myself am faced with more uncertainty. So Psalm 25, again, can remi- reminded me to look to the Lord, to trust him for deliverance from the affliction, and that I could endure by trusting his wisdom and care. My wife and I both needed eyes of faith in that moment. The afternoon goes on. Um, we discover it's an allergy-related uh, issue and simple remedy. Um, that's great news. Um, but then I remember I'm supposed to take Lana's car to the shop to get inspected in the morning. And her car is at the school. So this means more study time gone and another temptation to discouragement. But it's also an opportunity for faith to look to the Lord to pluck my feet from the net. At the end of the day, Lana was feeling better. We got the car. It was a late night, but good study. And though I was tired, my heart was full. And it's because of the comfort and the joy that the Lord had brought me, as I recognized he was remaining with us and carrying us through these trials, through these afflictions. And so one more way One more way that we can grow in our experience of God's comfort is by being open with others about our burdens. So share your burdens. For Christ's comfort to come to us through others, others need to know how we're feeling, what's going on, how we're thinking. The Lord gave me a a sweet experience of this um, that same afternoon on Wednesday when I was battling trust the Lord moment by moment. Right before I started my studying for the evening, I decided to go for a walk, clear my head, and I ran into a dear brother and was able to share with him how my day was going. Just to have his caring and listening ear in that moment was a huge encouragement to me. Um, It was a great comfort, and I recognized that that was something from the Lord um, to be thankful for. Um, It was a great encouragement to know that he'd be praying for me and for my wife um, as we tried to figure things out. But what made it all the more special was that 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 moment allowed for him to share some of his own burdens that he was dealing with that day and how he was trying to trust the Lord in them. And quite frankly, uh, his burdens made mine seem small. Sometimes we just need a little perspective to, to help us out. But this gave me an opportunity to be thinking of him and his burdens as I went throughout the rest of my day, um, praying that his eyes would remain on the Lord and that he would be trusting him to bring comfort in the midst of his own trials and afflictions. So I give, all of you, I give you all these examples to say that Christ is ready and able to comfort us. He's ready and able to comfort you in everything that you face. He truly will if you look to him and have faith in him.
He desires for our hearts to be lifted from the discouragements, from any discouragement we have. And our hearts are easily shaken, even, even by small things. But this past week, I saw that Christ would deliver me. I saw Christ deliver me and comfort me again and again. And I could, I could give you more examples. Um, last night, when I lost five pages of my sermon and had to retype them, but uh, a sweet family member of mine uh, brought me some McDonald's to encourage me, a milkshake. So um, the Lord brings comfort. Um, even this morning, still feeling a little behind and just having brothers come up to me um, and encourage me in this endeavor of teaching and preaching that I'm pursuing. And I know that the Lord can bring you comfort too. So recount his mercies, surrender your will, and have eyes of faith, and let his comfort come. Now at the time that we have left, we'll look at our final question. How can I grow as a Christ-like comforter? How can I become a Christ-like comforter? We'll look at four uh, specific exhortations towards Christ-like comfort. The first one of these is to get in their shoes. We want to get in the shoes of others and understand things from as best we can from their point of view. And so I think it, one way that is really helpful for us to do this um, is to reflect on the various discouragements that we have faced in particular situations. Um, the thoughts, the emotions, just the, the weight of the burden in that. Um, and this can help us to sympathize with others. Uh, the first, so I'm going to give a few examples of these situations. The first one is, oh, I guess I didn't get a chance to put that up there. All right. The first one is besetting sin. You, so you're thinking, I feel so stuck. This is hopeless. Will I ever change? Will I ever be a faithful Christian? Will this sin continue to wreck and control my life forever? I feel so much guilt and shame. Will God ever help me find final freedom from this? These are the things that cross our minds in our sin battles. And this can help us to sympathize with others and bring them comfort in them. The second one that I have is longing for assurance. We think, does God really love me? I know he says Christ came to save sinners, but is that love really for me? How could he love me if I still sin the same old sins? My faith feels so weak at times. And if my faith is weak, am I really born again? Another one, an uncertain, the uncertain future. And many of us, just as young people, um, college students and young adults, um, we really feel this. Um, we think, I'm now yet another semester closer to graduation. And I have no more clarity about what's coming after than the semester before. Will I have a good place to live? Will I be able to find a good job? Will God really provide for my needs? I mean, I've got debt to pay, and I'd like to be married one of these days. But what if I get to graduation and I still can't find a job in my field? What will my family and friends think if I spent four years here and my first job is in food service? When will I ever know what to do once I graduate? Another one, unsaved friends and family members. We think, Lord, I know that you've put me in their life to be a witness to them, but I stumble over my words sometimes. I don't always present the gospel as well as I hoped. I'm such a bad disciple. 
Or maybe you think, Lord, I presented the gospel again and again, and they're listening, but they just don't get it. Lord, will they ever be saved? Will they ever know you? I'm discouraged. I just want them to know you and to know your love as you've shown it to me. These are just a few scenarios, um, but I think it's helpful to think about these things when we want to comfort somebody. Um, Our trials and temptations are all common to man, um, and the same same encouragement and the same comforts um, that the Lord brings us uh, will encourage and comfort others. And so, knowing the situations that we face, knowing the situations others are in, can take what we've learned and share that with others. Our next exhortation is to be steadfast. Be steadfast. Knowing Christ's faithfulness to us, no matter what, through trials and through sin, we want to be steadfast friends who can be counted on. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, the proverb says. We all need friends who are going to be by our side and will make it their purpose to be um, as steadfast as the Lord allows. Your constant presence in the life of another believer can be used by the Lord to renew their strength in the midst of life's discouragements. Be someone that others can lean on and feel free to share their burdens with. Someone who they know will give an attentive, listening ear. And when someone shares a burden... Try not to be that person who forgets about it. It's easy for us to do. We move on to the next conversation. By the end of that conversation, we forget what our other brother has just shared with us. If you have to, set reminders to pray for that burden and set reminders to reach out to them and to see how they're doing. Consider how you can strengthen the hearts of your friends by serving them in some way or alleviating a need or burden in their life. This can bring great comfort. Uh, You could even serve them simply by trying to spend more time with them. This is someone that maybe you only see at church. Being steadfast doesn't look the same in every case, but it's a blessing to be used for our brothers and sisters' perseverance in faith and to comfort them. Our next point is very similar. Let Let no one stand alone. We don't want to let anyone stand alone here in our body. Pastor Clay has taught us again and again that isolation is dangerous to the Christian life. And JoJo reminded us of that same thing last week. When we get away from the truth, we're liable to stray away from God. Christ has given us also an example to follow in that he never leaves or forsakes his people. And he's given us his spirit who dwells with us as proof of this. So knowing the danger of isolation, knowing the example of Christ, We should see it as our obligation to reach out to one another and never let our brothers and sisters fall to isolation. Just like we need frequent comfort and we face afflictions every day, so do they. And I know we can't keep everyone from isolating, but as you're able, don't let a member of the church go neglected. We shouldn't always assume that someone has people walking with them in their life and encouraging them to look to Christ. For example, maybe you have a friend Uh, who you spend a lot of time together with for a season. You form a bond. You love them deeply. You're invested in seeing them grow and encouraged, um, see them grow and encouraged in their love for Christ. But then you don't have the same class schedule the next semester or you move across town and you live farther apart. You talk less and you're not as intentional in keeping up. They seem to be doing fine, though. 
But then six months to a year goes by, we spend a couple hours together and come to find out all the struggles and all the trials the Lord has brought their way. And they have felt so weak and so alone. We can't change what happened, but we wish that we could have been by them. So take opportunities to be intentional with your friends and do what you can to keep them from isolation and their burdens. And finally, strengthen your hope and share it. Strengthen your hope and share it. Sort of reiterates our fourth question, um, but I think it's I think it's helpful. Our communion with Christ is our lifeline for how we relate to others, and as we grow in hope and comfort, we should be sharing the testimony of how the Lord has cared for us and delivered us from our afflictions. Um, I mentioned Psalm 40 earlier, and this psalm serves as a great reminder to me of how I am to do this in my life. David says that he waited patiently for the Lord and that the Lord inclined to him and heard his cry. He was drawn up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and his feet were set upon a rock, making his steps secure. And the Lord put a new song in his mouth. And then that song of deliverance, David went about and told it to everyone that he could in all of Israel. And he said, I have not hidden your deliverance in my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and salvation. So when God delivered David, he couldn't contain it, and he wanted to share it with everyone, and we should do the same. The result was this. He said that many would see and, com- see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So as we share how the Lord has comforted us, how he's lifted us up from our afflictions, many will see the Lord and be in awe and reverence for him and put their trust in him. As Christ walks with us through battle after battle, storm after storm, fire after fire, and we lay hold of the truth, we learn to live with greater hope and comfort in him. And we become more useful as a steadying presence in the lives of others. Like David, we share testimony, reminding our friends, look up to Christ. Look how faithful he is. Look at his mercies in your life. Trust in him. You have an enduring hope in him, no matter the affliction. So we'll do a, give a quick review um, to finish up here. We've learned that biblical comfort is the lifting up of the spirit in times of distress, great or small. And we've seen how who God is and his promises provide our grounds for comfort. And we've considered how can we grow in our experience of this comfort? Um, how can our relationship with the Lord be more vibrant in this way in our day-to-day lives? And we've learned about how we can bring this comfort to others. Um, And in all this, bring unity and deeper love, deeper joy to our brothers and sisters in the church, all for the Lord's glory. So I hope that from this, you're feeling a lot more equipped in comforting one another. When we come back next week, I think that we'll be taking a look at serve one another with our brother Jojo. so as we, as we finish out here, I want to give you some final encouragement from 2 Thessalonians 2.16 and 17. God's word says, Now may the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, I'm so grateful to be able to gather with your church, 
to hear your word, to share in prayer together, in fellowship together, and singing together. Lord, and I'm thankful that you give us your sufficient word uh, to be equipped in these specific ways that we are to love one another and to manifest to each other and to the world uh, the great love and the great mercy that you have shown us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look to you in our afflictions and our burdens as we go throughout our weeks, um, that we wouldn't seek other comforts, other pleasures um, in the face of them, but that we would keep our eyes fixed on you and that you would lift our spirits, you would strengthen our hearts, and Lord, use us to encourage our brothers and sisters in this same way. Um, And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.